Hello. 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 How are you? Oh, I'm good. You sound good. You sound really good. Well, I mean, not perfect. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm. I'm good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't complain. You can't complain. And who would listen? Oh no, I can complain. (laughs) I can complain. Things are things are are bad. They're just as bad as always. Yeah. But um but I'm I'm here, right? I'm persevering. Right. What more what more can you be asked to do? To then to persevere? Yeah, then to try to survive. That's where we're at. We're at survival. We're at subsistence level. Well, you know, the voices of my family are in my head. All the long dead members of my family are telling me that it's not enough, Dan, just to survive. <laughs> you must strive. Yeah. Yeah. And not just strive to survive, uh-huh. but strive to make the world a better place. Yes. Yes. And mm. you know, one, one upside to the way things are right now is that there are lots of opportunities to make the world a better place. Where, excuse me. Are you okay? I think I'll survive. You need to get tested or? Uh, no, that was a, that was an example of someone in this house made brownies last night, which is not usual. I haven't had a homemade brownie in an uncountable number of years. You mean like not from a mix, not from a mix, but actually from. Yep. Like scratch. From the, from the making. Yeah. But what they chose was to put butterscotch chips oh. in the mix. And I did a little research. The difference between caramel or caramel. Yeah. Which do you say? Caramel or caramel? Well, it depends. I think I would say, hand me a caramel. Uh huh. But I would say, that car is caramel colored. Right. I'm not sure. I think I would say put some caramel sauce on it. I don't I don't know about the caramel sauce. See, I would never say caramel. But, uh, I, but, I would always go with caramel. Well, but a but a little wrapped candy, I think I might call it a caramel. Would you? But apparently the difference between caramel and butterscotch is just this now uh, somebody's going to Somebody's going to chime in, I think, with more information. But caramel is made with white sugar and butter and whatever else. Okay. And butterscotch is made with brown sugar. All the same ingredients, except one is white sugar and one is brown sugar. That's the only difference. Because, like, you know know that, like, white chocolate is not chocolate. I do know that. Yeah. And, uh, nope, that's the only difference. And then the third one is what? Toffee, which is just. Do you say toffee or do you say taffy? Well, taffy is different from toffee. Taffy is not toffee? Um, no, I don't think so. Oh. I think toffee is, uh, toffee is like, isn't it saltwater candy? Saltwater 
Saltwater, but I thought that was this. How do you spell taffy and toffee? Taffy is T A F F Y. Yeah. Taffy is a type of candy invented in the United States made by stretching or pulling a sticky mass of boiled sugar, butter, or vegetable oil flavorings and colorings until it becomes aerated, resulting in a light, fluffy, and chewy candy. That's taffy. Right. How do you... Okay, not to be confused with toffee. Mmm. Toffee is a confection made by caramelizing sugar or molasses along with butter mm. and occasionally flour. The mixture is heated until its temperature reaches the hard crack stage of 149 yeah, the hard crack. to 154 degrees Celsius, or 300 to 310 degrees Fahrenheit. While being prepared, toffee is sometimes mixed with nuts or raisins. Okay, so that's that's like a yes. Heath bar, basically. Yes, exactly. Toffee is uh, is old people candy. Now, how's that not uh, peanut brittle? Well, peanut brittle is just toffee with peanuts. With peanuts, right? Hold on, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna look that thing up because. But that's the thing: toffee is just butterscotch that's been cooked to the hard cracks. Thing. That's it. Brittle yeah, is a type of confection consisting of flat, broken pieces of hard sugar candy embedded with nuts, such as pecans or pecans. We got to talk about that. Almonds or peanuts. It has many variations around the world. I didn't know that either. So pretty interesting. Now that now, but that's not praline. Well, pralines are a kind of nut, and I think that that is. I think all of these candies that we're discussing are all basically the same thing: sugar and butter, but not taffy. uh, Taffy is different. No, it's not. Taffy's different. Well, it's got butter. Taffy's different. (laughs) Okay. These are going in the show notes. Yeah. Right now. Putting them in. So if anyone wants to do further research, they can. <laughs> okay, so ta- taffy. You Wait, are we talking about toffee or taffy originally? Not not any of those things. We were talking about butterscotch, which is uh, what they put in my... what. And when I say they, I mean, you know, the mysterious people that live in this house with me put butterscotch chips in the uh, brownie mix. Okay. And so when how do you I feel about a little that? bit earlier, how do you feel about that, John? Well, do you... What I feel is that if you had put an if you had put an equal mix, when I say you, I mean they, and when I say they, I mean them, them. <laughs> had put an equal mix of butterscotch <laughs> chips and chocolate chips, then we would be talking about a different thing. Yeah. There are nuts in these brownies too, which I used to object to and now I don't. When I coughed a second ago, it was because the the a little fragment of a nut from these butterscotch brownies got caught just tickling me in the back of my throat and I had to I had to uh, expel it. It was not a it was not coronavirus. It was a butterscotch brownie nut. That made its way to the back of my throat. I don't have enough coffee, and there aren't enough chocolate chips in these butterscotch brownies. I would not pick butterscotch in general. I I wouldn't kick it out of bed, and I would kick. I, I would pick toffee because I like a Heath bar. And when I get a blizzard at Dairy Queen, I get uh, my blizzard comes with 
Heath Bar and Butterfinger mm-hmm. because I very much associate getting a blizzard with then spending an hour trying to get toffee out from between your teeth. But those are the best blizzards in my estimation. Heath Bar and Butterfinger. Now, I, I want to Butterscotch? Write, yeah, that doesn't sound... Let me roll this back just a second here. Are you... Because we've talked about being super tasters and highly sensitive people and that kind of stuff. And so we share a lot of that in common. One of the things that I find very... It's not offensive, but it's borderline offensive and, and quite jarring. Is when someone adds an ingredient that is not necessarily meant to be there. And you're describing this right now. Like, I'll give you another example. Oatmeal cookies. Nobody wants just a plain oatmeal cookie. You're going to put raisins in there. But then there's people who will put chocolate chips in there. And I'm, I can't abide that. I'm out. Because there's no reason for chocolate chips to be in an oatmeal and raisin cookie or an oatmeal cookie at all. The only, the, in fact, I'll go, I'll go a step further. The only place you should, only kind of thing you should ever put chocolate chips in like that is a chocolate chip cookie. And then if you really insist, I'll put some into your pancakes for you, but that's it. And then if you take a chocolate chip cookie and you start putting nuts in there, now it's a chocolate chip cookie. It's also got whatever walnuts, whatever people put in there no longer a chocolate chip cookie anymore. It's some other kind of, it's a Rocky road cookie or something. I don't want an unexpected nuts showing up in a dessert of some kind, unless you know, it's going to be there. It's too much. It's too jarring. Now, do you you agree? We're going to, no, we're going to part ways here. I do not believe that there's any place that a chocolate chip does not improve the recipe. But it would never occur to me to put them in pancakes. Oh, you gotta try chocolate chips and pancakes. That's fine. It's well, I mean, I've I've had them because I've I because I went to daycare, but I'm but I don't <laughs> want them now. No, I don't want them now either. Blueberries are enough. Now blueberries, blueberries I can uh, I can I can put in any kind of muffin yes. or uh, or pancake, but but a chocolate chip muffin. Where do you stand on a chocolate chip muffin? There is no such thing. That's horrible. There's no reason to talk I'm about afraid, that. I'm afraid that there are chocolate chip muffins, and they are, they're quite, quite delicious, including mm. chocolate muffins with chocolate chips in them and on them, which I think are, the, are like Costco muffins or something that get bought by the pallet around here. <laughs> you know, Costco is from the Northwest. It's a Seattle company. And so a lot of people up here, I think, got in the habit many years ago of just going to Costco. I mean, everybody in America that has a Costco goes to it, (laughs) gets in, yeah, gets in the habit of going to Costco. But up here, it's like, it's like my grandmother went to Costco. It's like, wow, no, but, but they're just, there's this like kind of baked goods reality where there's a kind of ubiquitous muffin that's the size of, it's like bigger than a softball. I know the ones you're talking about. That's like a Costco thing. Yeah. And they come in these pal- giant pallets and 
every cafe in the city has them. Yeah. I don't understand how that works because it's like, this is a fancy cafe. This is a shitty cafe. They all have the same muffins, but no, Dan, I would put a, I would put a chocolate chip. I'm trying to think of a thing. I wouldn't put a chocolate. Well, I mean, I wouldn't put a chocolate chip in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. We got to talk about something else. I know the audience is going to really appreciate this. If you weigh in on this and we may have talked about Mm -hmm. this once, but I feel like it's time to revisit it. What's your take? Let's say, let me describe something to you and you tell me what it is. Let's do it this way. I've got two pieces of bread. I've got a couple slices of cheese and some butter. Put the butter in the pan, heat it up, cheese between the pieces of bread, bread onto the pan, more butter, flip it, more butter, take it off, cut it diagonally. What is that? It's a grilled cheese sandwich. Grilled cheese sandwich. What if I put some ham in there? What's it now? It's a grilled ham and cheese sandwich. No, it isn't. It's no longer grilled cheese oh, sandwich. Oh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a croque monsieur. Yeah. You just have to put an egg on. That's right. But my, my take on this is if you add something to a grilled cheese sandwich so that the ingredients are no longer just the bread and the cheese, it's not grilled cheese anymore. It might be a tuna melt. It might be a ham and cheese. Well, you did say ham and cheese melt. So yeah, you, you were right. But it's not grilled cheese anymore, is it? It's a ham and cheese sandwich that you well, grilled. It's a grilled ham and cheese sandwich. But is, we don't use what? What did you call it? A melt? We don't call the like things melt. melts up here, and we don't call them we don't call them toasties either. Oh, I've never heard that before. Toasty. Well, that's I mean, good. If you're going to call something a melt, no, it's a ham and it's a grilled ham and cheese sandwich. I do them all the time. I do them exactly as you described too. Yeah. Now there are some people that would take that would make the sandwich butter both sides of the bread and then put it in the pan. What are your thoughts on that? But I do it. I do it as you do it. I put some butter in, I, I melt the butter, then I put the first piece of bread down. Mm-hmm. But my uh, my further technique then is I put the cheese, I often put roast beef, mm. more cheese, and then while it's still open-faced, when the pan is hot, right as the bread is kind of crusting, I just throw a little teeny, just a little finger splash of water in there and then put a lid on it. Mm. And it steams the cheese so that when you pull the lid off, just 30 seconds later, your cheese has become melty before you put the second piece of bread on. They put the second piece of bread on, then you flip it, throw more butter in there. And then you're going to have, then all your, all your meltedness is taken care of. My, my problem is that I like mayonnaise. And I know mayonnaise is a very divisive condiment, but I like it. And I, I, at one level, I want it on this sandwich, but at another level, there's no way to get it on this sandwich. <laughs> you can't can put dip, the mayonnaise you can dip on the, the bread sandwich. Then, you know, like as you're mayonnaise? eating, it, dip dip it in in the mayonnaise. They do that oh, in France, oh, right? Ugh. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I do, yeah. They do it in Canada too, but no, no, I mean, I would just want it, just want a coating of it. But if you put it on the bread before you put it in the sandwich, then you got hot mayonnaise, which isn't a thing you want, but you can't take that sandwich apart once it's, once it's all glued together to Mm -hmm. put mayonnaise on there. So in the end, I don't, I don't put mayonnaise on it. 
but I do like mayonnaise on a sandwich. Uh, and that, that, um, you know, that's a, that's a line in the sand for people. Yeah, no, it is. The bass player of the long winters, he didn't even want mayonnaise in the room. <laughs> Eric Corson, he couldn't stand man. Have you ever made your even own mayonnaise? Even the sight of man. Hmm, that's a good question. It's not hard to do to make your own mayonnaise. Um, it's like egg and oil, right? Yeah, it's basically um, it, it's basically egg and oil, and you use if you have one of those little you know those little handheld mixer things that makes it really really easy. But basically, it's it's you get a couple eggs, you get a couple you know some people will put like lemon juice in there, but then you really the main thing is just like a cup of oil, and then two eggs, and you want the eggs to be room temperature. But you take the cup of oil, which could be, you know, you could do avocado oil, you could do olive oil, but you want it to be like neutral flavored. You don't want to use like coconut oil or something. And then uh, right, right, right. a little pinch of salt in there and you you mix that together with one of those little handheld mixers. It's great. Uh-huh. I don't know if the lemon juice is necessary. Mm-hmm. I always put it in, but I, now I don't know. You just makes it a little tart. Huh. I, I, um, I might, I might just go ahead and try that. You know, the, these days, why not make your own mayonnaise? Why not? Right? It's as like prepping I mean, almost. What else is there? <coughs> oh, there's that, 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 uh, brownie again. Yeah. Uh, making your own mayonnaise. Like what else is there to do? You know what I mean? Like we're just sitting around. Might as well. Yeah. Yeah. Are yeah. you... Dan, you, you have an office <laughs> yeah. where you go to work and, uh, and Hattie is there and, uh, Hattie's in, in your bubble, your quarantine bubble. Yes. How has your life changed given that you and Hattie didn't have like five other people in the office with you? Right. And. As far as I know, other than running the kids around and going to school, you know, it's not like you went to the rifle range every week. No, nope, no, I don't really do or, much I mean, of anything. You, you, yeah, you work out in your own garage, right? You don't. Well, it's not pre, like you go, pre-COVID, pre-COVID, I had a, a gym that I went to three times a week. Um, I would usually, you know, try to go to at least one or two group meetups per week, you know, like whether that's with local friends or, or business business people, important private business, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then there in the, you know, occasionally maybe once every week or two, there might be an evening gathering or meetup or something I would go to stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, you're running errands and taking kids out on the weekends or in the afternoon sometimes and all that, of course, had to stop. But, but, but really, practically, compared to somebody that that had a that had a job in a big business that they went to, that had a bunch of activities that were very social, that went to bars, that went to church on Sunday, that you know, that were like their kids were on the football team or whatever. Compared to somebody who has been dramatically impacted by right. COVID, would you describe yourself as being? dramatically no. impacted by it? No, not dramatically, moderately. Moderately. Mm-hmm. And, and basically all of the recreational stuff that I did, that's basically gone. 
can't go to restaurants, mm-hmm. can't meet with friends, you know, the same stuff everybody's dealing with. But the fact that I have a small office where anyone who would be working in here is in, in the bubble, in my bubble of safety. Yep. Yep. But, you know, there's a lot that I was doing with my kids that they can't do. All the activities that they were doing is is gone. Um, and then personally, it, you know, you can't meet anybody. You can't do anything. I like that. Personally. That sounds like something my Aunt Julia Lee would say. Yeah, we're going to. Uh, personally. You know, like I'm, I'm meeting a friend tomorrow and we're going to we're going to be outside like three, four hundred feet away from each other you know, wearing full hazmat stuff so that we can like get a coffee. Like, and that'll be probably the first time that I've second time I've done that since COVID started. Like that sucks. That just sucks. But as far as like my work or my essential necessary activities, they're not really changed. We now, when I go to the grocery store, the people bring it out to me in a cart and we deal with whatever crap produce they decided we should get instead of the good stuff. Right. What about you? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I was not somebody that had very many daily routines. Having your kid not be in school definitely is a dramatic thing as a as a kid owner. Right. Um, but after the initial trauma and by initial i mean the like four months of concentrated trauma of uh, watching the school districts figure out how to do distance learning and watching my daughter and trying to help my daughter through learning how to be on computers right now it's running very smoothly and whether or not she's getting an education (laughs) Like I didn't get an education in the fourth grade of any kind. Right. So she's getting a way better education than I got. She came to me the other day and she's like, she's in tears. And I said, what's wrong? And she's like, they're, they want us to read this super boring book. And you know, she is, she's avid reader. She reads all the time. And I was, I was surprised. I was like, what is, what, what is the book? Like I've never heard her say a bad word about a book. And she was like, it's called little women and it's so boring. Oh man. We would like to say thank you very much to remote works. This is a a new podcast. Well, it's a new season of a podcast. It's a season two premiere host. Melanie green speaks with Aston Martin, Red Bull racing drivers, Max Verstappen. Hope I'm saying that right. And Alex Albin about what the pandemic taught them about adapting to working differently. There is so much coolness in this podcast. Like Christian Horner, Aston Martin Red Bull Racing Team principal, talks about how he kept his team close when half of them were suddenly forced to work remotely. And, of course, they use technology to do this. But you're going to have to listen to find out how. In Season 2, Episode 2, they talk about remote work, Extreme Arctic Edition. Picture living in a tiny little hut built in the 1930s with no running water, no electricity. The nearest town is 86 miles away and your nearest neighbors are polar bears. I'm going to try these names. Saniva Sorby and Hildi Fallenstrom. This is their home office in the heart of Svalbard, Norway. This is the kind of stuff 
that this show, Remote Works, is going to tell you about. It is so cool. This season, they're going to be talking about how these two women were living in this tiny trapper's cabin. They talk about the uh, Formula One. They talk about digital nomads working from the beach in Barbados, in Bali, and beyond. But it's not just stories about remote work. Each episode is full of insight and advice you can apply to your work and your team. Distributed work brings challenges, but it also represents opportunity. And that's what Remote Works is all about, helping you find new ways to work, collaborate, and discover new possibilities. I got a sneak peek of season two of Remote Works. I thought it was so cool. You know, I love podcasts. I mean, here I am making them, but this is the kind of podcast I really enjoy listening to. So if you want to listen, and I suggest you give it a try, search for Remote Works anywhere you listen to podcasts. There is a link in the show notes, uh, but that's all you need to do is just your favorite podcast app or player, search for Remote Works and check out season one and now season two. Really appreciate their support. Thanks very much to Remote Works for making this show possible. And so I went in and sat with her and said, well, why don't I read a chapter aloud to you Mm -hmm. and we'll see if we can figure out what you know, what it is about it. And so I'm reading it and, you know, the language is, is archaic in, in a couple of ways. There's a lot of vocabulary and, you know, references, cultural references that, that she just doesn't know. She's not old enough to, to be able to, she's a fourth grader and it's a little bit above her pay grade, but she's going to this mixed class. So it's, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And the teacher is kind of trying to have these group assignments that works for everybody. But I doubt very much that there are many kids in the class that are like at the reading level where they can really absorb a lot of what's going on in Little Women. But also it's one of those books, you know, my kid is used to reading books where the point is the story. So you get to the plot Language isn't, you're not, you're only using language to get to the plot as fast as you can. So the books are just designed around, Margie said, hurry up, get on the horse. Jane said, the horse needs hay. (laughs) You know, it's just like so-and-so says, and then action. So-and-so says action. And little women, every sentence is constructed, uh, like it starts with a quotation mark. And then the sentence is, someone needs to tell the teacher that I am, uh, you know, uh, that I would be humiliated if they uh, ever noticed for a second that my pickled limes had, you know, fallen out of my desk and rolled across the floor, bemoaned Joe. (laughs) And so you never know who's talking until you get to the end of the sentence. Okay. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Right. It never says Joe said it's always like long involved sentence about someone's, you know, some social problem that a 19th century girl is having in, in her, you know, uh, all girls school. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, there's some, there's a couple of adverbs and four adjectives before it gets to who's talking. Anyway, she and I worked on this. Just, just kind of trying to decode not just the language, but like the patterns of the language. So here, when you start reading a sentence, if you're not clear who's reading it, it's okay to like look ahead and see 
who it is that's speaking. Yeah. And then and then reflect back and read the sentence again. You know, but but it's a style of I was explaining to her, like, this is a style of reading that the book is not just about the plot. We're not going from action to action. It's not adventure to adventure. This is a book about manners. And it's a book where the plot is, it is, if not secondary, then, then it's you know a, a peer of just words as a wonderful thing. Right. Like you're just here for the words, and for the, you know, the way the words dance around each other, and it's a style. It's a new style of reading for you. And I know it's exasperating because you can't just glide over it like you do Beverly Cleary or, you know, or, or yeah. there's just, she's read so many books that are just like, you know, the, the, uh, the little, the little ocelot children go to the moon. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> sweetie, you know, there, there, there was going to come a day. I know there are 42 books in the ocelot children series, but there was going to come a day when you had to, when you'd, you'd read them all and it was time to move to the next thing. And I don't know if little women is exactly what I would have picked for her. She's extremely sensitive about books that don't have female protagonists. She is not going to take that lying down. And so, you know, a, a lot of the books like, like, Hey, well, let's read Tom Sawyer. And she's like, well, you know, I'm not sure I want to read a book about a guy named Tom. I'm like, well, I mean, there are, there are girls in Tom Sawyer, but you know, like it's like, she's got some pretty, she's got strict standards about, I mean, it was one of the reasons she didn't want to read Lord of the Rings is like, there are no girls in Lord of the Rings. I'm like, there are the elves. Yeah. There's some girls, the there. elf princesses. She was like, meh, in the Hobbit, there are barely any. I was like, you love Star Wars and there are barely any girls in Star Wars. And she's like, not true. And she runs down all the girls. And the, the, the larger point is that she's getting an education in this online school. But as for me, if, uh, did the quarantine affect me? Is it affecting me? Yeah. A, a huge part of my life is going out, going out at night going out to see shows, going out to perform shows, going out with friends that are in show, you know, that are in like the making of shows right? and talking about shows and whose shows are whose. I mean, I woke up this morning and th there was a text from a friend that was like, before Jim joined Built to Spill, what was his band? And I was like, Voodoo Gearshift. And he was like, no, 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 the other one with Denise. And I was like, oh, the delusions. And he's like, yeah, the delusions, right. And and he's doing a, sh he's doing a show where he wants to talk about people that are doing shows, but, it, but he's doing it online. It's a, he's, he's on somebody else's podcast. And that's the conversation that we would have once had at a bar. Whether or not it makes the world a better place, uh, who knows. But, but all the stuff around shows, Dan, I mean, that's been my whole life for, well. Your whole life. Since, 19, <laughs> since 1991, yeah. at least. Shows, 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 shows. 
And I got no shows, zero shows. This is the longest I've been this last nine months, the longest I've gone without seeing a rock show since I was 15. And it's the longest I've gone without seeing a rock show times about four, you know, when I, when I, when I went on my long walk, I didn't see any rock shows for six months, but the first thing I did when I got back to Seattle was, I mean, I think the second night I was back, I went to a rock show. So that has changed my life in a, in a major, major way, but it doesn't feel like the, it doesn't feel like it's changed my life in the way that other people's lives have been completely interrupted because they're, there are plenty of times that I, plenty of nights I didn't go to a show, right? So it's not like I don't go to work anymore or I don't go to church anymore. Or I don't, I don't, um, that my life is completely upended. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like I, like we turned a corner and in a way it just feels like I moved to the suburbs. Oh, I can totally see that. How far outside of Austin do you live or where, how, when you say how Austin, far, you mean, you mean specific, it, downtown specifically? How long does it take you to get to sixth street from my office? 10 minutes from my house, mm, 18 minutes. Max. And you live North, South, East or West? A bit North of downtown North, a little Northwest. Oh, not, I'm yeah, not, not in Northwest Austin. I'm, but you know, as Austin has grown, like when I moved here, I was considered like the outskirts of Northwest Austin. And now I'm borderline central. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but yeah, I mean, it's like 15, you know, door to door. Like I'm walking out of my house and I'm walking into wherever I am on sixth street. That's 15, 20 minutes. So you're, you are north west of the, of the college. Yes. But you don't go, if you're going to. Before COVID, I was um, downtown frequently, very frequently. If you're headed up to, uh, to your house, mm -hmm. you don't, uh, you don't go by you don't, you're, you don't take Red River. No. No, I would you jump on, I would jump on Mopac and head north. Oh, okay. All right. But as far as like Allendale, are you close to the river? Um, I'm not far from that. I'm maybe 10 minutes. Okay. So yeah, you're in the, you're in the town, but it's like, it's like, Northwest Hills? Is that where you are? Um, is it a suburb? No, I mean, it's it's Austin. Um, but I mean, I, I guess it's... I'm not far from Northwest Hills. How far is the nearest record store? Um, that would be like the only record store I even uh, know about anymore is Waterloo, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be a record store up there in, I guess it wasn't that far up. It was kind of, it was sort of like, 
Rose Daily. Yeah. It was a good record store. I did an in-store there one time, and there was a guy there at the in-store, and I think it was coincidental. I think he came to the record store, not realizing that I was playing an in-store there, and he was an arch nemesis from years prior, and I didn't even know he lived in Texas. I was playing this show and I looked up and here was this person, this arch nemesis that I hadn't seen in years. And he saw me and it was the, it was one of those strange moments. Cause you know, when you're playing an in-store in a record store, the lights are up. It's different from oh, right. yeah, playing course. in a club. Yeah. You, can, you can see everybody's face and they're all standing, they're standing uncomfortably close to you. In fact, the, la- the last in-store that Death Cab ever played, we played with them and it was a thing where... They had just, it was like the Nirvana CD release party, or I'm sorry, record release party at the old Peaches in the university district where it was very clear that they were now too big to play an in-store in a record store. Right. The, the, it was basically like a riot. And we, we played this in-store and the first line of people, the first row of audience were standing on the other side of my microphone as far away from it as I was from the microphone. <laughs> like it was my mouth, <laughs> microphone, length of microphone, mic stand, and then the length of a microphone, and then the first face. I mean, it was just a face right there. And faces. <clears throat> and it was impo- it was impossible. And if I hadn't been tall, it would have been terrifying what's nice about being tall is you you see that first face but then you can see over people like you can always you can always see the exit that's what's nice about being tall you can always find the exit um even if you can't get to it you can see it that would be the scariest thing for me about not being tall would be not being able to see clearly the path to the exit and I don't know how I would, I don't know how, because it's a thing that you don't, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't recognize it if, if you had ever, it's not like you're tall and then suddenly you're not tall unless you, unless you are injured and then you're in a wheelchair right? and all of a sudden you went from being tall to not being tall. But for the most part, you're, you know, you are the height that you are. And so you're used to seeing the world that way. And it's why it's so you know, it's always so amazing when you step up on a step or something and you're like, whoa, is this what it's, is this what it's like for you or whatever, you know, but I don't know, like being able to see the path to the exit is very important to me. But my, my life is, if anything, Dan, it continues to be improved by the quarantine and that's taking into consideration all of the ways that it, that the quarantine is terrible and mm-hmm. things are worse. Mm-hmm. I wish to God for my daughter, it's not better. I wish to God she could play with her friends. Um, she needs it so desperately. Yeah. But for me, like not having to go to, and you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's changed my vocabulary. I now feel like, Oh, I have to, I have to go to shows and I don't, now I don't have to go to shows. And so I, I don't, I don't miss that at all. I don't miss having to go to shows. 
shows aren't convenient for you. You know what I mean? Like right. your friend's band comes to town when they come to town. And if it's a Tuesday night or if you had something else going on or if you were tired that day, your friend's band is in town and it's, they're not going to be in town tomorrow. You can't right. reschedule. Like shows happen on their own time and you have to, you have to deal with that. And I don't miss that. And I don't miss going to the grocery store. I don't miss, you know, I've been paying my YMCA membership <laughs> this entire year. I have not been one time, but I felt bad about canceling it at the beginning of the year because it just seemed like so, it just seemed so chintzy. Like it's the YMCA. I, for years I, re I resented even having to pay for the YMCA, but now I'm going to, I'm going to say like, Oh, there's a quarantine. I'm, I'm pulling my money out of the Y. Mm. So I just kept paying for it. And now, now it's going to be, it's coming up on a year. I've been paying for the YMCA. I haven't used it one time. I don't know when I'll stop. When am I going to stop paying for the YMCA? Dan? Are you worried that they'll like go out of business if you don't pay them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, or just, I mean, I'm paying a lot of bills for things that I'm not using right now, just because in general, it feels like I can. And also that I should, I don't think the why is going to go out of business, but, but other things might go out of business. Right. Do you subscribe to any um, things that come in the mail? Do you have like Sausage of the Month Club or anything like that? Not anymore that I can think of, no. I'll say no. I Did used you used to. to do? Yeah, I used to have stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. There was something that we used to get like... Um, different kinds of coffee back when I used to have like real coffee, regular coffee that would come I've done that same thing with tea. And at one point I was doing something that was like, a, like different, like meats, like they would send you different sa sausages and like venison and like that kind of stuff for a mm -hmm. while, but nothing, mm -hmm. nothing mm -hmm. now, nothing now. It, it feels like <clears throat> I'm trying to think of, of things to get for the holidays for, as gifts for people. And I'm thinking like, oh, maybe get them subscriptions to things like coffee of the month or wine of the month or something that, that shows up all year, like little things, little bits and bobs. Yeah, it could be a nice little surprise. It, it makes people think every month that some little thing shows up. They're like, oh, John, John got me that. He's thinking of me. I'm thinking of John. He's thinking of me. A little surprise every month. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty nice. Well, who are you, well, you going to get this for? Uh -huh. I'm thinking of maybe for me. Is that send it? Send me some. Yeah, stuff. a little gift for you, Dan. Yeah. I mean, I know you like, <laughs> I know you like meat, uh -huh. but I, I, I think that you're very particular about meat. No. So I'd have to get, I'd have to get you a, a, a high grade of meat. Well, yeah, Merlin sent me some venison once that was really good. 
Oh, really? Yeah, years ago. It's like six years ago, maybe seven. Long time ago. And he sent me some kind of thing where like a whole bunch of sausages were <laughs> not sausages, almost like mm-hmm. a pa- like a pate or something. <laughs> it was very mm-hmm. good. My kids liked it too. Well, yeah, let's see. <clears throat> I, you know, it hadn't occurred to me to do, but a few years ago here at the house, we had a, we had a thing where all the relatives came over for Christmas and everybody bought a bunch of presents for the baby because she was whatever, six years old yeah. and everybody loves a little girl <clears throat> and everybody bought presents for each other too, out of that feeling of like, well, Granddad's coming, so I guess everybody's going to get him like a pocket knife, a, a keychain flashlight, and a set of wool socks. <laughs> but by the end of the day, we realized that we had engaged in a kind of orgy of consumerism where we just bought too many presents. It w- and the presents were – most of them weren't needed it, and it, and it started to feel a little perfunctory, like, oh, thank you for this. You know, like, none of these things are things I would have bought myself. These are just things. They're all going to go in a drawer. There's only so many keychain flashlights that I can carry. And so we said, as a family, I guess this was several years ago now. We said, look, we're going to do a Secret Santa thing. Everybody just gets one present that they buy for one other member of the family and you don't get to pick who that is. Grandma is going to make the list and she's going to assign everybody a, a, a person to buy one gift for. And then, you know, everybody is allowed to buy one gift for the, the child. There's only one real child in this family now. And so there's not, you know, there's not, even two kids, let alone six kids. Right. So let's keep a lid on it. And, and that kind of made Christmas feel peaceful and, and, you know, you you didn't have that feeling at the end where you just had a bad taste in your mouth a lot about like, wow, that was like, all that did was ruin this child because she, you know, I, I remember feeling a sense as a kid of responsibility when you got presents and you weren't, you hadn't even begun to play with this present before you were unwrapping that present. And how can you possibly play with all these things? You know, it takes you t- two months to rediscover all the stuff that you got on Christmas. Even if it's, you know, even if it's all like, small beer it's still stuff still stuff you have to interact with and and integrate but this year we were talking about secret santa and secret santa secret santa Mm -hmm. and gradually we just kind of realized like what there's nothing else to do we have we don't have anything else to do no one has gotten any there's not been any fun nobody's gotten any rewards we haven't gone to a single birthday party in a year. Um, we're not allowed to play. We're not allowed to hang out with our friends. Why would we? Why would we restrict Christmas? 
Like, if you want to get a present for somebody, go for it. And now, as I'm sitting here talking to you, Dan, I'm feeling like, why wouldn't I just get presents for everybody I know? Everybody I have an address for. Mm -hmm. Send them something. Keychain flashlight. Something. I mean, you... Do you celebrate Hanukkah? It's today is the all first day days? of Hanukkah. Yeah, all eight days. I know. You do? Yeah. Have you got some? Did you get some presents for the first day of Hanukkah? Uh, no, no. We we interestingly enough, the kind of hybridized Hanukkah Christmas thing that we do is we don't do Hanukkah presents, but we do do the candles each night, and then the kids get Christmas presents on Christmas. There was a while we were trying to do both, but then. The kids really want big Christmas gifts, so it didn't work. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we did Christmas a couple times, but mostly it was Hanukkah, and they would always save the last gift, the big gift, the one you really wanted, would be on the last freaking day, the eighth day. And you know you're getting the, you right, know, that's the, big. the Qbert Atari cartridge isn't going to come till the eighth day. And so in the meantime, I'm like, oh. You know, cool, like some Hot Wheels cars or whatever. That wouldn't have been at the same time as the Qbert cartridge, but you get the idea. So, like, you'd get junk gifts yeah. for the first, like, six or seven days. And then on the last day, you'd get the thing that you really, really wanted, you know, the land speeder or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how that went. And eventually, it, it would just be like, here's your Hanukkah gift. And it was the one thing. <laughs> you know and, oh wow <laughs> and but uh, so the, my kids though we used to we tried giving them like little things or you know we'd give them like Hanukkah gelt or something like that and that was fine but now we just kind of do the candles but there's an allure to the fire aspect of this that my kids love like the idea that we're like burning stuff like we're lighting stuff and they fight over who gets to light it and you know, who gets to light the other candles and so that, that, and then, and then trying to, they do not get into the prayer aspect at all. The, um, the blessing, they don't like that. That's, they don't want to do it. They really? don't want to learn it. I'll have them repeat, repeat it back to me and, uh, and, and they don't want to do it anymore. So it's, I don't know how to encourage that. I don't know how to get them to get into it more. So we mainly uh, do just the tradition. Christmas. No. How do you get kids into tradition if they're not? Are you, do you, do you celebrate other traditions? Do you have family traditions? Um, there are some like, you know, breakfast tacos every two weeks. Is that a tradition? Mm -hmm. You know, I little, so. little things yeah, like a, that we do. Thing. You know, take the trash out when it gets full is an important tradition in my okay. household. All right. That's a good tradition. You know, is that that's from your people, right? Yeah, your people. Yeah, are, all the way back. That's way. That. That's that's you know, when my grandparents, great grandparents, first came to the country, they started doing that. We don't have a lot um, of traditions. Do you? I see you as a person who cherishes tradition and truly enjoys passing the traditions down as a way, the way that the Rodericks do this. And, and every, every seventh Sunday, the Rodericks, you know, you know, go out on a rock hunt and find the smoothest pebble from the crick and bring it back and then eat 
the crawdad. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. That there, kind. There's a there's a lot of that in my family, and a lot of it's ad hoc. You know, um, you remember a tradition kind of as you're doing it and then go, oh, this is a tradition. This is how we do this. Uh, it's We don't have so many where we wake up in the morning on March 1st and we all put on our golden smocks <laughs> and go, you know, to the top of the uh, lighthouse and sing our song. But we do have, you know, the family has some traditional songs that we sing. And there's a little bit of a, it, it doesn't take much to remember some family way of doing certain things. And my sister's really into that stuff. I think various members of my family will remind or remember that like, oh, this is, this is the way. And of course I'm, I'm full of that stuff. Right. But also I'm, you know, I'm also somebody that looks at the calendar and goes, wow, is it December already? It's like, well, yeah, it's been December for like a week and a half. I'm like, (laughs) oh, cool. Wow. All right. So, you know, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What day is today? It's December 10th. Yeah. First day of Hanukkah. Dan, this is, this is my, uh, this is my sober birthday. Is it really? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. In 19, on December 10th. Wow. In 1994. Oh man. I, uh, I quit drinking, so or had my last drink. I guess this or is had fantastic. I didn't drug. know that. December tenth. Yeah. So and wait, how many this years? Twenty six years. Twenty six years. Nineteen ninety four. This is my twenty sixth sober anniversary. Oh, good for you. Yeah, which is a that's a perfect example. That should be a traditional day of celebration. My friend Sean Nelson used to get me a gift every year. I would have gotten you something if I, if I had known. Well, he would remember it and I wouldn't, uh, <laughs> you know, like my dad's birthday, it was October 29th and leading up to it for, for a week beforehand, I was like, gotta remember dad's birthday is on Thursday. And then Thursday came and went, didn't remember. And then the next, it's always the next day you're like, Oh, yesterday was dad's birthday. You know, cause we, you should go to your go to your dad's grave and eat a banana, which is a, which is a tradition that we have. My sister and I and my daughter go, go sit at my dad's grave and eat a banana in celebration of him and his, and the way that he used bananas as a shorthand for so many emotions. My dad's answer to most problems was have a banana. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he insisted that everybody, everybody entering or leaving the house, he would offer them a banana. He was, he wasn't being funny. It was unconscious. He just, bananas 
in his estimation, I think were the perfect food. My grandfather was the same and way. That was like the first thing. Oh, want a banana? Have a banana. Yeah. It's easy. A banana is easy to eat. <laughs> it's good. And if good you potassium. don't want to eat it, if, <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to eat it right this second, you can put it in your pocket and you can carry a banana around. You can, you know, you can put a, you can put a banana on the seat next to you in the car and drive home and eat it there. You can take a banana and eat it while you walk. Also with a banana, unlike an apple, like you, an apple can look great, but be not very good. Yeah. Can be mealy and gross. An orange can look great, but then when you, when you peel it, all of a sudden it's one of those oranges that is no good. Hard to peel. It's got a, another little mini orange inside of it that screws the whole thing up. But a banana, if a banana looks good, it's going to be good. Even if it's one of these tasteless modern bananas, you know what you're going to get. If the, the, the color of the banana's skin is going to tell you what kind of banana resides inside. We would like to say thank you so much to Brooklyn. And I just, this is not in the script. They did not tell me to say this. This is a completely just coming from my own heart and preferences. These are my favorite sheets, and I think they're the best sheets that I've ever had in my life. They could not pay me to say that. I mean it genuinely. I have one set of Brooklinen sheets. I need to get another one because I refuse to use any others now. That None of this is in the script, by the way. Every single time that instead of usually how many pairs of sets of sheets do you have two three and you wear you know you, you use one and then you wash it and while it's washing you put the new ones on i don't do that i just continuously rewash and reuse the same brooklyn and set because it's so much better i tried going back to the other ones and they sucked and i won't do it i just need to go get myself a new set of Brooklyn and sheets, but you've probably heard me talk about them before. They're the home of the internet's favorite sheets, uh, but they also have towels, which I've got a couple of now. And those are also amazing. This is a way to give your daily routine a little something extra, right? With varying levels of plushness, the towel of your dreams is waiting for you. Isn't that cool? And with all this extra time that we're spending at home, it's nice to invest in a little extra softness, a little extra absorbency. Sure. Why not? And this is the thing. You've probably been thinking, I could spruce up my bathroom a little. I could make it into a miniature spa. I'm here all the time now. Maybe make it a little bit better. Or maybe I'm, you know, I want, I'm trying to get a routine back in my life, right? And so with these super plush towels, it's like they're, you know, giving you a little hug to start off the day, maybe. Anyway, they're is such a value to having a routine and having things that you enjoy and things that bring a little bit of joy to your life. So I think you should try these towels out. They're very cool. Don't forget the sheets, but now you're going to find all the comforts of home, including these ultra soft towels. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that everything comes with a lifetime warranty. So you don't have to worry. Something happens, they're going to take care of you. So here's what you do. You go to brooklinen.com, B-R-O-O-K, brooklinen, L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com, and you're going to use promo code ROADWORK, one word, and you will save 10% off your first order. Pretty cool. So that one more time, brooklinen.com. Promo code is ROADWORK to save 10%. It, Brooklinen is everything you need to live your most comfortable life. And take it from me, I really like their stuff. Thanks very much to Brooklinen for making this show possible. 
but we didn't celebrate that. And I don't, we don't, didn't celebrate my dad's birthday. We did not have a banana. We didn't go to his grave. And today's my 26th sober anniversary. And I have no plans to celebrate it. No, no, I would not have noticed it if, if, if it hadn't come up in conversation. And I don't know what I would do. What tradition would I have around this? For a long time, it was a very private holiday for me. I was embarrassed when other people knew about it because I just, you know, I maintained that kind of privacy. Mm-hmm. All of the private, I have, I have very little privacy in terms of telling you or our listeners about the you know, the troubles I've had, the things I've been through. There are very few things that I keep, keep private from people. A lot of the things I talk about are things no one would normally say to a, to an open microphone. Right. Absolutely. But I'm not shy about it. And I feel like it makes the world a better place to share. Well, and a lot of of things, uh, John, a lot of the feedback that we get, are people who really truly appreciate how open you are and how much you do that kind of thing. I think that's what makes the show special. Yeah, it's it's the it, it's the it's the fundamental principle of these shows and why podcasting is good, I think, is that that we're we're so governed by shame and so many people feel shame they're not even really aware is shame about things, about normal things, things that have happened to them that have happened to other people, feelings they're having that, that other people are feeling. And, you know, there are feelings that we have that are unspeakable. Even I, um, there, there are lines you don't cross. And, and these days, you know, this is common refrain. It feels like people are a lot shyer about expressing even commonplace feelings because they're afraid of, you know, the, how the, the world is going to chastise them for having commonplace feelings. But for the most part, we all have the same, we all have feelings within the same range and why not talk about them? Right. But I do keep private and I have, I'm an extremely private and even secretive person about about a certain class of things. And it usually is like something like my sober birthday, a thing I, those words I would never put together for myself. I don't think of it that way. I'm saying it that way because I'm trying, you know, it's a shorthand for what it is, but I don't think like it's my sober birthday and I would never normally reveal it. And for, for many, many years, nobody, knew about it. Sean Nelson only knew about it because it came up in conversation one time early on and he just bookmarked it in his mind because he's a, you know, he's a gift giver or a gen, a generous person. He gave me, <clears throat> he gave me a lighter once like a, like an engraved lighter mm-hmm. that had my sober anniversary engraved on it back when we were all smokers mm-hmm. and giving somebody a, a brass lighter was like, you know, I had a, I had a brass lighter. I, you could always use another one, but, 
But why that would be, you know, why I would keep that a secret and to reveal it, to, re- to, re- to have that date be known by people would feel more intrusive to me than talking about, um, you know, that I had been in love with somebody who broke my heart or that I had, that, you know, I'd been covered in shame a thousand times or even, you know, talking about the actual alcoholism and how hard that was. That's easier for me to talk about and have be, be widely known than something like my anniversary of quitting. Yeah. I don't understand that, Dan. I don't understand what, what the types of privacy are um, and why or why you feel the kind of sense of privacy about certain things and, and not other things. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the internet privacy stuff that people are so worried about beyond, beyond just like, please don't steal my credit card information. Please don't impersonate my, uh, my identity and please don't show up at my house beyond those three things. You know, I, I, I'm not super concerned with, with internet privacy. And I think uh, there's a lot of stuff that, that there's a wider net that all kind of boils down to those three things. Like, Oh, if people know this about you, then they can triangulate to these. You don't worry so much about that. That's not a big concern for you. No, I don't think, I don't think that hard about it and it's not, it doesn't stress me out. I do feel more and more that personalized advertising is going to be a thing that drives me freaking up the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, targeted advertising that addresses me by name, that inception level of, Hey John, have we got a deal for you? What I, what I like call that, that is, my, is minority report style of advertising where, if yeah, you that's re- what I meant. Not inception minority. Report. Yeah. I that's thought right. that, I thought that's what you might've meant where if for people who haven't seen the movie, this is a movie that takes place in the near future starring Tom Cruise. And as, uh, as he is walking around and not just him, but everybody as he's walking around the shopping mall or the store or wherever, um, there are in everywhere you could possibly look in every direction, there are little eye scanners that are scanning you and instantaneously identifying you based on your red, a little instant retina scan. So you walk in, it's like, hi, Mr. Roderick, would you like to get another pair of gap jeans to match the ones you bought last week? And you're like, Ugh. and then as you walk down the hall, there's some other store that sees you and says, come on in. We've got a special on baseball caps or whatever. Uh, that's right. the that is the future though. It is. It's happening already. Yeah. And um and you know, and I hate it. I've I don't know if you've noticed on Twitter, but Twitter just introduced just rolled out a new program where every fourth tweet <laughs> that you see is an ad. We both tweeted the same day and I didn't see yours until later. We were both complaining about the same thing. It's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst, but but somebody, and I don't remember who, but somebody, uh, you know, like at replied me and said, just block every uh, Twitter account that feeds you an ad. And I, so I started doing it, you know, and it, it, 
at first it just felt like, oh, this is satisfying. I don't usually block people anymore. I just mute them if they're rude. Mm-hmm. But to just like every single ad, block, block, block McDonald's, block Audi, block Chase Manhattan, block, you know, just blocking all these accounts. And I started to realize like, oh, I just blocked McDonald's. Like I'm never going to see anything from McDonald's and I, and, and I feel nothing. I mean, that's great. Like not only will their targeted because Twitter isn't throwing these ads up. What they're doing is they're throwing up tweets from the social media account of Chase Manhattan Bank. They're just, it's a promoted tweet. So if I block the Twitter account of Chase, there's, they can't get another Chase ad to me, no matter what. And I've, then I've started noticing, like, then I get a promoted tweet from the chairman of Chase Manhattan Bank. His social media account is also promoting tweets. And I block that too. It's, so it turned it into a game, a whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. But also I'm realizing there has to be a finite number of companies willing to pay Twitter for promoted tweets. I mean, it may be in the thousands, but there's a finite number. And if I block every bank, then they can come out with tweets from the chairman of the board of the bank. But if I block those, they're chase. Chase Manhattan is going to run out of ways to get tweets to me. And eventually I've already noticed it. The promoted tweets in my feed are starting to be like MIT's department of math, uh, (laughs) advanced math has a new puzzle that they're, you know, like we, the, the promoted tweets are starting to be weird. Um, and I don't know what, I don't know within Twitter, I mean, they're not going to let this happen for long, right? This is, this seems like a, like a bug that they had, it hadn't occurred to them. Eventually they're going to say, you can't just block every company. Maybe, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just change their algorithm. So it's like, this isn't a promoted tweet anymore. This is just a straight up ad right in the right in the heart of your thing. And at that point I feel like I got to get it. I mean, I already feel like I got to get off there, but, but that minority report business, you know, I bought a thing from Nordstrom rack six months ago and they send me an email every couple of days. It's like, Hey, we found a shirt that we think you'll like. It's like, Oh fuck off. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, but I don't want to put like a, an email filter that blocks stuff from Nordstrom. So um, you might need that. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't even know. Well, I wouldn't even know how to do it. I mean, I get, I email with Pete Nordstrom all the time. I don't know if I want, I can't just keyword the word Nordstrom. This is, this is Seattle. We, the Nordstroms are all around us. You can't, you can't cut yourself off from the Nordstroms. <laughs> Nothing, you know, nothing's going to get done around here. No. Nordstrom's are running the show in a way. <laughs> so I would have to, you know, I would have to block the words Nordstrom rack in quotes 
But you know, sometimes, Dan, I'm looking for those good deals. Oh, that's the problem is that that they send you something and there's that 5, 10, maybe even 15% of the time that you actually do want it. But you know, you can do the thing on, on Twitter where you just, you there's the little three dots up in the upper right. I don't know if you use the app or if you, whatever, but there's usually a little thing and you can say, I don't like this ad. So you're not blocking, you're just telling them that you don't like the ad. And that way you're not blocking the account that promoted the ad. You're just telling it you don't want to see that ad again. Well, but I don't want ever to see an ad from McDonald's. Well, they block McDonald's for sure. But I'm saying for Nordstrom or something like that. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I don't, you know, like what I'm afraid of with that is that um, what I'm helping them do is figure out the ads I want, which is not a, that's not a thing I want to help Twitter do is is um help them refine their ad platform right and i I don't dan i don't know if you feel this way you're an internet pioneer Uh, you were on the internet from a young age yes i remember asking you one time a while back i was like what generation of podcaster am i and you wrote back and you said you're definitely not the first generation of podcaster. And I think you said you're not the second generation. When did you start? When but was maybe, your first? Now, was your first podcast episode, when did you guys start Roderick on the line? Because somebody tweeted to me and said, Roderick on the line came from the time that you guested with Merlin when I was out, I think for when my boy was born or something like that, and Merlin had get you on as a guest or something, and they were saying that Roderick on the Line came from that, but I thought that that was pre-existing. I thought Roderick on the Line was before that, and now I'm very confused as to what this what actually happened. But I would say you're either second well, or third two... generation, if 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 I had to guess. Yeah, you, that's what I think you said to me when I asked, cause I was, cause I'd read something where I was like, oh, there's a, there's a sense of podcasting as like generational. Um, there are, I mean, there are people who are, uh, who are saying this is a first generation podcast or whatever, which I thought was, uh, which which interested me, but according to this, according to uh, Yokin's Roderick on the Line episode page, the first episode that he has was actually Back to Work, episode thirty one in two thousand eleven, in August of two thousand eleven, August thirtieth. I was you were out. And I was a guest. Uh, it's called We Can Polish, or You Can Polish ACDC All Day Long. <laughs> and then the first Roderick on the Line show was little more than a week later, uh-huh. the 9th of September, 2011. Uh, we recorded episode 00, the, the, um, 
the debut suit of vomit. So August of August of 2011 is when I got in the game, but Merlin beforehand, I think you'll remember had his short lived TV show, the Merlin show. Yes. Which was, um, which was a video online video. I don't even remember what, how that was done. If I remember right, he was, it would be him and he would sort of sit and interview someone in a, in a lawn chair. Is that maybe I'm remembering something else. Yeah, that's what it was. And, and it was a video podcast, mm-hmm. I guess is yeah. what it was, how it was described. Right. Video podcast. Um, and I was a guest on the Merlin show, I think more than once, uh, but, but one time in particular, maybe it was only once, but it was, it was absolutely proto Roderick on the line. It was just that you could see us both and we were sitting in Merlin's backyard. So, you know, that's probably like the the, um, the original time. The er, yeah. Yeah. The er ep. Oh, I've just, I just found Merlin Mann's Wikipedia page. It never occurred to me to look on this. It's interesting. Oh, he started You Look Nice Today in 2007. That's got to be first gen, right? Is that first generation, 2007, of podcast? 2007 there is, earlier is podcast. There were, but no one... You know, like I started in 2006, that was like the first Mm. podcast that I did and there was nobody listening to it and there was no way to listen to it. Like you'd have to download the file, copy it to iTunes, plug in your diamond Rio, drag it manually over it. This was before, um, Apple integrated podcasts into iTunes that happened, I think in Oh, I should know this, but somewhere in 2007, 2008, that kind of made it real. And then I would say if you were doing it before Apple integrated it into iTunes, your generation zero, if you did it around that time or shortly after your generation one, and then maybe gen two, I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask, but I still think you were, you were early enough to it that you would be at least Gen 2. I think they were in like Gen 10 now, though. Oh, right. Sure. Sure. I I uh, I feel like, I mean, this, this next year, Dan, will be the 10th anniversary of Back to Work. Wow. Uh, pretty early on in the year. Yeah. And then, uh, then I'll have the 10th anniversary of Roderick on the Line then in the, in the autumn. That's another, that's another anniversary that I'm kind of a little shy about. But, you know, less shy, of course. 